Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. So excited to dive into our two next guests here on the Optimal Body Podcast, because as you know, we kind of like tearing down paradigms. And specifically, we like to attack some of these issues that people want to see in this binary sense as this or that. It has to be one or the other. And today we're going to be talking about strength and flexibility. Jenny Rawlings and Travis Pollan have co-authored Strength Training for Yoga, The Beginner's Guide to Building Yoga-Specific Strength, where they really talk about how to use strength training in order to improve and strengthen your yoga practice and really strengthen your body overall. Jenny Rawlings has completed a wealth of trainings and learnings in the field of yoga, anatomy, and movement science. She also writes regularly for Yoga International and for her own Body Geek yoga-focused website where she also offers science-based yoga classes and continuing education courses for yogis. Travis Pollan, on the other hand, is an author personal trainer, and PhD in health and rehabilitation sciences. His research focuses on core stability, movement screening, training load, and injury risk appraisal. He also holds a master's degree in biomechanics and movement science, along with an American record in Paralympic swimming. These two are just a wealth of knowledge in the body, in movement, and really bring it to a practical sense on how to merge strength training and your yoga practice. They also, for our guests only, gave us a special code, Optimal20, for $20 off this training and ebook that they wrote. So check the link in the show notes below, and you'll be able to go use code Optimal20 to get $20 off that. But listen in because they have such incredible information for you. Travis and Jenny, thank you so much for being here. We're really excited, actually, for this topic because it's something that we haven't dabbled in. And I know a lot of people have questions around yoga since it's so popular. So first of all, just thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having us here. We're honored to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. And something that we really like to start with a lot of our guests with isn't, you know, what they do. We're really going to dive into what you two are doing right now. But why they do it and what makes you so passionate about it. So I don't know if both of you want to kind of talk about why you're so passionate about getting this information out there. Yeah, I can I can go ahead and start with that. Uh, I'm a longtime yoga practitioner and yoga teacher. And I just feel like the practice of yoga is amazing. As so many people know, it has so much to offer our bodies and our minds on so many levels. Um, but it also sometimes comes along with it, with this messaging that yoga in and of itself is this complete practice and say all your body might need for complete health thing uh, like on that level. And when people get drawn into that and then end up taking on yoga long term, sometimes it can just end up being a little bit limiting and we may end up lacking inputs from other movement styles and practices that could also be really rewarding and, and important for our body. So I just know I went through that myself in my own journey on the yoga map. And so I like to try to look at yoga through a, an evidence-based lens and see all the things it can offer us, which are amazing, but maybe some other places where there's some natural lacking. Mm. And uh, because of that, I just saw this need 
for helping to spread the message of bringing something more concretely surrounding strength into a movement practice for yogis to help balance out and enhance and support their practice. Mm. That's kind of where I'm coming from with this. Yeah, I love that. And I, for me, I come from more of a strength and conditioning background and and I've been a longtime yoga student myself. Um, I, I started, the, the reason I started about 16 years ago was I was a competitive swimmer and I wanted to improve my recovery, improve my mobility. So I got into yoga and I continued doing it long after my swimming career ended. But at the same time, I became a personal trainer, uh, started working with athletes and I got hooked in with Jenny and saw she was really pushing the boundaries of what, you know, th- this, this kind of fine line between a traditional yoga practice and a more modern yoga practice incorporating aspects of strength training into like the mat practice. And I, I came to learn that like a traditional yoga uh, teacher training model, uh, as well as just the, the general practice itself that many people do, lacks in certain areas um, when it comes to strength training, whether it's um, not, not only just the, the application of it, but also the knowledge surrounding it, the anatomy. And so I thought, wow, I can, I can kind of help with getting the message out to um, the yoga world th- through my work with Jenny about these fundamental principles of strength training in terms of what strength truly is and what movements um, and aspects of a body weight mat practice like yoga sort of misses. And it's not to say that it's wrong or bad. It's just like, what can we add when we're on the mat or what can we add separate from our time on the mat to create a more comprehensive and well-rounded approach, taking what we know from strength and conditioning and applying it to this unique audience. I think that's great because usually when people are thinking yoga, it is a completely separate depiction of strength, right? Like, oh, I might do my run or my strength training or this and that on one day and then I do yoga on the other days. Like there's not usually this this marriage of the two of combining what that could feel like and be like. And I think, you know, and as far as what I saw personally, Um, And even for myself, it was like, well, yoga almost, you know, drew in the people that were already naturally a little bit more flexible Mm -hmm. because then it's easy. It's something that my body likes. It's something my body enjoys. And, And it's easy to just fall into that pattern of just continuing to stretch more and more. Um. I think it's interesting, too, to talk about the different types of yoga practice. Um, Do you guys mind like kind of touching on those? Because I think that's really important distinction as we talk through all this as well. Jenny wants me to be a flow chart. So she's the perfect person. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Um, You're you're a longtime yogi and you know yoga really well. But sometimes, you know, if you haven't been immersed in the teacher training side of things, maybe that you haven't seen like all the details that there can be to share about the practice of yoga. So sometimes I try to fill you in a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, th- so it's so true. I mean, the word yoga is really this broad, it's this broad term with many different possible interpretations. And I think sometimes through like the vehicle 
of social media and pretty pictures on Instagram, people get this idea that that yoga is just about like stretching super deeply and doing these quote fancy looking poses. And while it certainly can be that, there's there's a lot more to it. So I would say that me, at least in my impression, the most popular style of yoga, probably like in the in the West these days, or at least in the U.S. where I'm based, would be vinyasa flow. So flow type yoga practice where we're generally moving with breath, but probably not holding many poses longer than say five breaths or so. So it's uh, constantly flowing like that. And it's usually a mix of standing poses and seated poses on the floor, vinyasas thrown in there too, which that's like chaturanga, which is like the yoga world's push up mm-hmm. and a back bend. So vinyasa flow or sometimes just called flow style, but then there's also, and that's a little more open to interpretation and nuance and it's more malleable, but then there are some more traditional styles like some of your listeners may have heard of Ashtanga yoga, which that's, that's personally the practice that I have my original roots in. And that's also very flowy in nature and many people describe it as pretty vigorous in nature. Uh, but it's more traditional because it's set sequences. So whereas a uh, vinyasa flow, the class and the sequences might change each class. With Ashtanga, there's the there's these set like technically there are six different sequences or class series that people can do. Most people are doing one, two, and three. So and uh, that was founded by uh, Patabi Joyce. Uh, back in the earlier part of the 1900s. And then there's Iyengar yoga, which is another branch of yoga. And that's not so much a flow, and that's not so much moving through poses um, on the faster side, but it's more like holding one individual pose for a sustained amount of time, still actively though. And it's generally a lot of props are incorporated, um, like yoga straps, blocks, and blankets, and that was established by uh, a man named BKS Iyengar, also in the earlier part of the 1900s. So those are kind of two of the main branches. Uh, and then, like I said, vinyasa. There's also restorative yoga, which is a very emphasis on down nervous system down regulation. And it also uses props like Iyengar does, but it's not active. It's like you would recline or lay back and support yourself with props underneath you. And then just breathe and become very present to your body. And restorative poses, in my experience, it's like five minutes minimum per pose. So one class may consist of a, a set of you know, maybe four to six poses, something like that. Um, there's gentle yoga, which that's itself is kind of a, a, a nebulous term that can look different, different depending on the teacher. But that would just be more... Um, you know, maybe more movement involved than restorative, but not so active. Maybe a, maybe a set of passive stretches. There's also yin yoga in which people, a little different than restorative, people are holding stretches, but not so much supported by all those props. And they hold those passive stretches for a long time. Um, and, and again, different teachers sometimes, there's a lot of overlap and they might teach things slightly differently, but I'm just describing the different the different styles, uh, the way that I understand them. Mm-hmm. And the other really popular one is Hatha yoga, right? Yes. But I understand <laughs> that that's like kind of a nebulous term too. Mm-hmm. So in my understanding of the term Hatha, which that word is used out there a bunch, uh, my understanding is that Hatha means more just like describing all of the physical postures. Like it's yoga in its physical form. So then that can look like, really could look like any of the branches that I just described. 
But then some people do use Hatha to describe more of, I'd say, an active yoga class that's maybe less on the flowy, vigorous side, like maybe less vinyasa flow, but maybe more challenged than, say, a gentle class. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, hard, it's hard, really, to kind of <laughs> categorize all of them. I think people use some of the terms a little differently, but, and Hatha is one. Yeah, as somebody who's not very intimately integrated into the world of yoga, I, I've kind of noticed that, you know, some people <laughs> describe it more in, in like these concepts that, like you're kind of saying now, can kind of overlap and, and can kind of flow amongst each other. And, and then there's other practices that are a little more, yeah, I guess what you'd say rigid per se. I've actually mm-hmm. done before what someone called a laugh yoga class. And I, w- <laughs> I walked out of that thing feeling amazing. So, <laughs> Ooh, you went to a laugh yoga class. That's yeah, very cool. That was super fun. But um, one thing that I want, you mentioned that where your practice is kind of rooted is more in this Ashtanga practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was reading in the preface uh, of the book, actually, when you're talking about your journey, where you just had lots of these nagging aches and pains mm-hmm. that were kind of coming up for you and in your shoulders in different places, low back maybe was getting a little sensitive. So what was it that you did um, from there to kind of start to explore that a little more? That's a great question. Uh, yeah, I, I practiced Ashtanga and in that traditional style, the emphasis is on very frequent practice. So you're supposed to practice, it comes down to about five to six days a week. And like I said, it's pretty set practice. There's a little variation, but so you end up pretty much doing the same thing every day for maybe 90 minutes to two hours, or not every day, but five to six days a week. And when I was immersed in that, I was definitely, definitely believed and went along with that messaging surrounding a practice like Ashtanga, which is that it it is a complete practice in, in and of itself. And it's really all, you don't need to do other forms of exercise, movement, fitness. Um, but so back then I didn't really have a realization, which I do now about, about how beneficial something like movement variety is for the body. And that at a certain point, our bodies will adapt to the loads that we expose them to. So if we're doing the same repetitive practice over and over without bringing other types of movement inputs in, at some point, maybe our tissues, the tissues of the body just come to maybe become a little sensitized to that. Uh, not, not necessarily that that type of practice is creating injury, but maybe more nervous system sensitivity, which might manifest in terms of those like chronic aches and pains. Mm. So I think I realized that after, after several years. And at first, I decided to make a change by, um, and in my mind, it was a big change. But now looking back, I see it's not the hugest change, but to shift from Ashtanga, which that was a big deal to me at the time, having been my, like I was so de- quote dedicated to mm. that practice and shifting more into vinyasa flow style, which as I mentioned before, that style tends to change. It's not so rigid and traditional. And that served my body well for, for a few, you know, maybe two to three more years. But then I think I realized even, even that is still body weight practice you know, over time, over time. And it's still at some point the body adapts. So post that, at some point, I started realizing, based on things I was learning from educating myself on movement science, anatomy, biomechanics, I started to realize that what my body was kind of truly missing was, was strength and actually adding significant load to my body. So even though a practice like vinyasa flow or ashtanga might feel hard or vigorous and I might feel tired 
afterwards, like, wow, I just did a lot. I must have gotten strong. I started to learn once I learned about the human body and how strength training works. I realized it wasn't so much strength that was happening to my body through all of that, but more like muscle endurance and different types of adaptations that aren't the same thing as true strength. So once I realized that that was really kind of missing from my movement practice, I brought in and went and saw a personal trainer and just learned more about the lay of the land. For, for me, coming from the overworld, the gym can seem like a scary and intimidating place with all that equipment and maybe some macho attitude. So it's kind of alien and foreign to me, but I hired a personal trainer and just learned about how strength training worked. And really from that point on, I'd say that's the main ingredient that that kind of moved me beyond those nagging aches and pains and had me feeling like I was targeting my body in a more well-rounded, healthy way. That's really interesting because what I typically hear, you know, from patients that uh, that will come to me is that, well, I was told only to do yoga because I already am in pain. I was told only to do yoga because my back was hurting. And, and it's so, and I love that you found, you know, by implementing different strategies and different movement patterns, different loads on the body that you were actually able to then heal rather than just sticking into one way of practice. And I think, you know, beyond yoga, this goes across the board, right? Are we only doing one style of movement and not tapping into others? Um, what I'm curious too, Travis, for you, not having been predominantly yoga, but but practicing in this, but also being in strength and conditioning, did you see this pattern happening with a lot of people? And how do you kind of introduce people to, well, maybe we can pick up different styles. Maybe we can also, you know, add in these strength movements and it's going to support your practice. Like, how did you start to present that to people? Yeah. Well, like the story that I hear from Jenny, I hear all the time, right? From, from, from so many people who had previously only done yoga and started to get into strength training or were looking to get into strength training for that reason. And so it's, it's a pretty common thing to hear. And I think that the, like the challenge, like Jenny described is, well, if you're a longtime yogi, there was probably a reason that you became a yogi at first, right? Like you said, Jen, it's, you know, you, you have a predisposition towards flexibility training Mm -hmm. Yoga feels good. But on top of that, maybe when you walk into the gym, you see the yoga studio on the right and the weight room on the left, and you kind of go towards that more serene, calm, um, comforting, uh, familiar place that is the yoga room as opposed to the gym. So getting people uh, comfortable kind of exploring that other side of the gym or, or just weights in general can be a little bit of a, a challenge at first. And so for me, I, it's the big thing is education, right? So if, if people can understand why they should be strength building, why it is going to be helpful to them from a day-to-day standpoint, um, improving their, their time spent doing yoga as well, hopefully reducing any sorts of aches and pains, uh, but also like, how do you do these things? What is a dumbbell? different from a kettlebell, different from a resistance band? How do you use those machines? Like that education, I think, takes some of the uh, fear away and replaces it with confidence and and gets people more open to spending time strengthening. Um, And so, and that, and that foot in the door maybe is 
getting a kettlebell at home or getting some resistance bands at home and incorporating that more in your yoga practice. And then once you're like, oh, okay, I sort of know how to use this implement that can be like the, the foot in the door to the barbell or the, the leg press or whatever it is. So yeah, I think that education is the big thing. And, um, it, it can be, you know, well, how do I incorporate this? I'm already doing yoga five, six days a week. Like, okay, maybe we need to take a step back and introduce two days a week of some dedicated strength training that's separate from the yoga practice. Um, and so that can be hard for people too. Like, oh, I have so many movement flexibility and, um, movement skill goals that I want to accomplish, handstand, backbend, whatever. Um, but taking a step back and saying, well, is this really serving me? And do I need to kind of walk it back a little bit? Like take a step back to take two steps forward by t- taking some time off the mat, doing some more of this strengthening type added load things, um, and then go back to my yoga practice and see how it's changed. So like the one thing that I've heard from Jenny too and, and other people is that like when you just do yoga, you, you tend to do the same things over and over again. And, and it might not be exactly like a set sequence in Ashtanga, but it's like, okay, we're going to try Chaturanga and we're going to just do it the best that we can. But there's not that sort of progressive like, okay, what's my current strength level ability? Where do I need to uh, start on this progression of a push-up? Maybe it's against a wall. Maybe it's on an incline. Maybe it's with my knees bent. A- and doing that sort of progression uh, over time, as opposed to like just trying to do the full eccentric push-up every time and not really getting any better at it. So when you do deconstruct the movements from more of a strength and conditioning standpoint, you can then take that back to the mat practice and like, I know from Jenny, suddenly she's able to do these movements or these transitions that she was never able to do before. Mm-hmm. She hasn't practiced them, but she got stronger and it manifested on the mat in this beautiful way. Mm, that is so, so interesting. I hope people are really like taking that in of how that works together, because I think a lot of the fear that I've heard before as well is, well, if I if I want to get strong, like I won't be flexible. And if I want to get mm-hmm. flexible, then I can't lift weight. So what is kind of like your mindset and, and education behind that? Well, um, I guess I can go with that one for a minute. But something that I, t- that, uh, I tend to say in general when talking about some of the many myths that kind of permeate the yoga world One of the biggest ones that I think holds a lot of people back is this idea that stretching and strengthening are opposites and that they work against each other. You know, and exactly as you just said, Jen, like the the idea is that the stronger you get, the quote, tighter you get and less flexible you become. So then you people would think that would make their yoga practice worse or work against their practice if their goal is, you know, to move into deeper ranges of motion. And then conversely, people think that through um, stretching, they end up making their muscles longer, like physically longer. And that, that that can, some people claim that that makes you weak and like works against strengthening. So it's just these like ideas of opposites and binaries in our minds feel like they can hold us back a bit. And when we actually learn about the science behind them, we realize that there's so much more and so much more opportunity there. But in general, we know from a lot of research that's been done on the topic of strength training, uh, we know that if anything, strength training actually enhances flexibility. 
And there was just a recent study that came out uh, that I remember posting about that was already operating on the already established foundation that we know that strength enhances flexibility, but it was looking at the question of, so we know it doesn't make you quote tighter and doesn't make you lose flexibility, but does it increase flexibility as fast as stretching? Like would, you know, would stretching still do it faster if that was your goal? And so this, this uh, research looked at that and actually found that stretching increased flexibility just as quickly at the same rate as simple stretching or passive stretching did. So I feel like that right there is just a powerful message to any, any yogi who may be resist, resistant to the idea of bringing in strength training, thinking that that will somehow make them less flexible and, um, you know, a drawback to their yoga practice. They should realize that if anything, strength training, especially through full ranges of motion, uh, that that should actually enhance flexibility and, and give them the benefit of more control over those ranges so that when they move into something like, I don't know, say uh, forward splits, which in the yoga world, that's called Hanumanasana, that they may have more of the ability to actually control their hamstrings and hip flexors and the muscles being stretched in those positions. And um, that can actually be, that can be great as well. Mm. So I feel like it's a, that's a myth this idea that strengthening makes you less flexible or that flexibility makes you less weak. It really kind of goes both ways. They're not opposites. They don't work against each other. And and you can have them both at the exact same time. Lots of strong and super flexible people. Uh, That can be the same person. You could be strong and very flexible. And personally, that that would be like a, a goal of mine is to kind of embody both at the same time. Absolutely. I think that we just like to get caught in these kind of dichotomy <laughs> dichotomies mm-hmm. in our world where we think it has to be one or the other or we think that one will take away from the other and i a few of the things you said at the very end there is training through that full range you know under load mm-hmm. especially to promote that control and that's where my physical therapy brain is just lighting up saying you know we're building these neuromuscular patterns that are really helping maybe some of those yogis uh who have traditionally only practiced yoga find that control and that strength throughout that whole beautiful range of motion that they already have (laughs) as somebody Mm -hmm. personally who i played football in college i did a lot of olympic weightlifting and i didn't have that full range of motion in a lot of aspects and i'm I'm always envious sometimes of people who have that because i'm like you have all those patterns waiting there you just need to put some load behind it and really teach your body how to control through it so I, i really appreciate how you kind of broke that down that's the cool thing too. I think about teaching yogis to strength train. Like we know teaching a hip hinge, like a deadlift movement pattern can be tricky for people who've never done it before, especially adults, especially males, at least in my experience. <laughs> but when you take a yogi, they already have all these movement skills ingrained from, from doing their practice. So you can kind of give the analogy or equate like, okay, the bottom position of a hip hinge or a Romanian deadlift is similar to a halfway lift in Mm -hmm. yoga um, with your knees slightly bent instead of straight. So now you can kind of do this mapping of the yoga poses onto the strength training poses or vice versa. And it just gives people a context. And so like teaching someone who's a longtime yogi to strength train happens. It's so much easier and quicker than somebody who just has a very uh, a much more limited movement history because um, like you said um, they have these movement skills and the, the flexibility and the range of motion ingrained already 
And now you just have to put a kettlebell on top of it. <laughs> Absolutely. You kind of just started to touch into something there that I want you to dive a little more into, which is mapping these different yoga poses with strength exercises. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Sure. So for, for us, as we were kind of creating our strength training for yoga training program, we wanted to provide context for um, not just like, okay, here's strength training, but here's strength training in the context of a yoga practice and how these two things relate. And then maybe what um, aspects of a yoga practice, um, what strengthening movements yoga doesn't really cover so that we can cover those from a strength training scenario. So what Jenny and I did was we sat down and we said, okay, what are like the 18, that was the number we ended up coming up with, but what are the 18 foundational yoga poses? Like the ones that when you think of yoga, you think of these poses. And then we, we kind of looked at them from a biomechanical standpoint and said, okay, what plane of motion are these movements operating in for the upper body, for the lower body? What joints are most involved? What muscles are most involved? And what joint action is occurring? And so in a, let's say like a warrior two, uh, you have the, the front foot pointing forward and the back look, back foot pointing, uh, 90 degrees away. And so that movement is definitely loading the quads on the front leg. It's loading the adductors. It's maybe loading the abductors, the lateral hip, um, in an isometric or stabilizing role. So we thought, okay, well, if we wanted to improve the warrior two pose, uh, give someone more strength and more ease in holding that position, um, what would we do from a strength training standpoint? Well, we would train the abductors, we would train the adductors, we would train the quadriceps. And what exercises train those? Well, uh, a Copenhagen plank with your top leg elevated would train the adductors. Um, a, a step up or a lunge um, or a squat would train the quadriceps. So it was, we wanted to provide this context so that it wouldn't, the, the strength training exercises wouldn't seem so far into people, but it would be like, okay, I can clearly see how those strength training exercises, which maybe were far into me before or scary, I can see how they directly relate to what I would do on the mat. And so then there's that, hopefully, that buy in of, okay, I, I, I want to do these exercises because I see directly how it's going to benefit me on the mat. I know, what ex I know what poses I'm struggling with. So I can just go look at this glossary of poses and see what exercises to do. And then also the, the training program that we created used all of the exercises that we um, kind of spelled out in that section where we mapped the one, the strength exercises and the yoga exercise or the yoga poses back and forth. Well, we took those 50 or so exercises and we made that the training program. So it was just clear exactly how this training program will benefit yoga and, and the gaps that it's filling in too. So there are certain, what, what we also wanted to do, not just to say, how do you directly add load to these poses? Like in a, a yoga squat, well, you can just hold a kettlebell uh, or you can do a step up and that's kind of going to be similar. But also how can you counterbalance these poses? So how can you train the muscles that are antagonistic to the agonist or the prime movers. So that would be exercises uh, that are involving upper body pulling movements because yoga ca is characterized by so much pushing, whether it's chaturanga, the push-up or handstand. Well, 
there's no row in yoga, right? There's no pull up in yoga. So uh, yeah, there are a few things that you can do from a body weight standpoint. Um, but how can we introduce kettlebells and bands to train those opposing muscles and provide a more comprehensive approach to strengthening? That's so great. And I what I appreciate about your approach in this is not just, you know, like you said, oh, here's some strength exercises that you can do. Because sometimes there's there's fallout. If someone doesn't understand why specifically yeah. this is going to help me in what I already love to do, why would I add it in? And so what I think you guys are, are doing and really bringing to people is direct education so that they can understand it and feel empowered as to how that would help them within their body, specifically within yoga, which is which is so brilliantly done. And where I'm going to go next because you know everyone's going to ask, well, how many times do I do this? How many times do I strength train versus how many times am I just doing my yoga practice now? Do you have, do you kind of have a guide of how often you recommend or how people can start to figure this out for themselves? Yes. And first of all, thank you so much for that very generous feedback in what you just said. That means so much to hear from you. I'm glad that you... I'm just glad to hear you um, really emphasize that how much offering the why really helps enroll and empower people. With any type of exercise and movement, I think we can all relate to that as um, exercise and movement teachers. But as far as frequency, what I think it's a little, as you kind of alluded to, it's a little like to a certain extent, maybe people do need to kind of make it work for themselves depending on their own schedule and everything else they're doing. But in general, with our strength training program, we've, we've um, recommended a three-day-a-week program, uh, which just, it, especially for people who are longtime yogis who have not really brought strength training in in a structured way before, this type of um, rhythm and pattern seems like a good amount of frequency to make some really good and adaptive changes over time. But of course, people can take a little longer to do the program and maybe do it more like two days a week and just spread it out. So it's not, you know, still do the same amount of workouts, but take a longer time, maybe instead of eight weeks, which what we've set out in the book, maybe they take 10 or 11 weeks and they um, spread it out. But in general, and really Travis is probably the better person. He's, he's my, um, my strength trainer. So he's probably better to really answer this, but I feel like he would say that two times a week is probably like the minimum that we would recommend and then maybe up to three. And some people also prefer four times. It kind of, it kind of depends. But when you're also trying to weave this around your, your yoga practice, um, to me, I feel like for many yogis, two to three times a week or sticking to our specific recommendation of the three times a week in our program. And then maybe you practice your yoga on two days a week to kind of, you know, pepper around that and then take what a concept take like a day or two off of no movement practice for like the other day or two in your week so that there's balance. Nora, Travis, do you have anything, any other thoughts to add on that? Yeah, no, I, I echo those sentiments. And I think our program is three days a week. I think that two days a week would also be great. And for some people, that's more manageable if they think mm -hmm. about, well, I already have a full mat yoga practice that I'm doing however many times a week, but I can commit to two you know, 45 minute sessions um, per week. I, I think one, not that you can't, especially for a beginner, one session a week could like, let's say 45 minutes to an hour 
you could make good progress on that, but eventually you would want to bump that up to two. Um, I, the other thing that I want to say with this is like, it's, it's difficult to just, if you have a full, let's say you're doing yoga three or four days a week, it would be difficult to just add this on top of it. And so like I've worked with people in the past who, who just wanted all the things at once, right? I want to improve my yoga practice. I want to get stronger. And when we started, just we, we just added on top. She was finding that she was too fatigued for her skill-based work, like doing her handstand practice. And so what I sort of tell people is you can... Uh, unfortunately, you can only have one like primary objective at a time. So you have to kind of decide for yourself, well, is my primary objective right now to get stronger or to work on my yoga mat practice? And so, and, but you can, you can cycle these objectives. So maybe you've been doing yoga only for eight years. So now it's time to say, okay, I'm going to relegate that to two days a week and I'm going to concentrate on my strength practice for three days a week for two months. And then I'll go back and I can switch it. Um, but it, it, again, it's hard to say, well, I, I have two primary objectives because you, there's, well, one, there's limited time like in the day and the week. Um, but also your body has a finite capacity to recover. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think again, it's about striking that right balance individually. Um, and long story short, that's generally two to three days a week. Yeah, no, I think that was a great breakdown, especially like you guys are saying, it depends a lot on where you're at. <laughs> Have you done anything like this before to be able yeah. to see that initial change? Um, Travis, kind of like you said, one day could bring on some some great change for people, but that might not last for a long time. I, th I think one thing I want to touch on too before we go is like, there are a lot of people out there that don't like that weight room setting. And something else you've yeah. been bringing up is that time is a factor for a lot of people. And that can be kind of that initial barrier. Like, I don't have the time to get into a gym to do this strength training now. And so many people are needing to be able to do some of these things from home now. So I know that you've mentioned, you know, kettlebells, bands, like, do we need to go into a big gym with all the weights there? Or are they able to do your program from home as well? That is a great question. And we intentionally designed the program so that it would be flexible and adaptable that way. So people, especially like you pointed out, some people either for time reasons or they're just not comfortable in a gym setting. It's not their preferred place to do their movement practice. We wanted them to have the freedom and flexibility to still uh, have a, an amazing strength training practice, but out of the comfort of their own home. Uh, but then there's some people who are like, quote, gym rats or whatever, and they're already really comfortable there and they want to use that setting and, and all the possibilities that are there for them. So we also made our program so that it would be workable for people like that. That's why we have barbell options included for that type of person as well. But for someone who's interested in a purely home strength training practice, we, um, like I said, we designed the program to completely support that. We just have a few... Uh, required pieces of equipment that we think are really important and that you would need for the exercises that we prescribe. And that's uh, to, so it's in a, it's simplified terms, it's two kettlebells and one resistance band. And then uh, for like, a, for the two kettlebells, you would want there to be two different weights. So one lighter and one heavier. And a simple way of describing that is that the lighter kettlebell would be a weight that you with one arm could could press overhead about 10 times, like a weight you're comfortable doing that. 
And then the heavier kettlebell would be a weight that you could not press overhead with one arm one time. So that would be like the weight you would use more for lower body exercises. And of course, people could also sub and use dumbbells as well. We just recommend kettlebells because dumbbells are sold in pairs. And so they tend to cost more. So it can be a little more cost effective to just look for kettlebells. And then, um, and then a resistance band in between the two of those. You can do all of the exercises in the program, but then of, of course, if you have other implements at home, in addition to those things, feel free to use those as well. Like in my, um, my secret hope for everyone is that everyone gets a pull up bar just in general has that because I feel like that's, that's such a great tool to use for shoulder pulling strength and a door. So a doorway pull up bar would be amazing, but you don't need one for our program, although you can use it for, for the, some of the exercises. So essential just in general, I feel like. So I love that you guys, you know, you're keeping it simple. You're, you're creating ways to make it cost effective for people, um, which is so, so huge, which is a bummer about the doorways in our place right now. We don't have the ability to get one of those standard pull up bars. So we have to. At first, during quarantine, we were going down to the park, finding a bar. <laughs> I do my pull-ups in trees. Yeah, we were getting <laughs> creative. That's perfect. I've seen Travis do pull-ups in trees before, too. You got to do what you got to do, right? Exactly. Totally. Well, now that we've been talking about this so much, where could people go and and find this program and learn from you guys and see what are these exercises that are going to help improve my yoga practice and make me feel stronger and more just better within the body because I know that when you implement both, it's going to help people. So and I know we have a code for people. So if they want to use Optimal 20 for $20 off the program, then they can. But can you tell them where they can find it? Obviously, we're going to have this all linked up in show notes so you guys can easily find it. But where can they learn from more, more from you easily uh, access the program? Yes. So the program is available. It's um, easy to remember. It's strengthforyoga.com. So, uh, and it's, it's all, it's right there. That's where they can order the book and then they'll get a, an email for it to be able to download it immediately. So it's pretty, it's pretty simple. It's just right at that <laughs> website. Perfect. So simple. Yeah. And we'll link all that up. And where can they find more about what you are doing? Or do you have any personal pages that they could look your stuff up at? Yes. Um, they can find, people can find out more about me and, um, take classes and learn from me on my website, which is, my name, JennyRawlings.com. And that's Jenny with an I. So J-E-N-N-I-R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. And I'm on social media too. And the links are on my, um, on my website to find those pages. And Travis? Yep. So I'm, my website is TravisPollen.com. And um, I am Fitness Pollinator on Instagram. I love that. And we'll get all that linked up as well. Thank you to so much for bringing such incredible information again to a space to kind of create this bridge for a lot of people who I think are sorely needing it both in the yoga and in the strength and conditioning space. So anybody who heard something that sounded interesting, go check it out. We really appreciate your time. And there we have it, yet another amazing guest on the Optimal Body Podcast. So now what we ask of you, if you loved any bit of that or resonated with it, go share it out, share it with a friend, share it on your social media, because you know there are more people out there that would resonate with it just the same. Also, subscribe, rate, review on your favorite podcast app so we know what you want to learn or other guests that you think we should bring on for you in the future. Keep tuning in to find your optimal body.